This episode is brought to you by Dame, the world's first reusable tampon applicator. For 30% off an organic tampon subscription, use the code ITW30 at Dame's website, wearedame.co. Hi, Tiffany. Hi, Anna. How are you? I am brilliant because we have got an absolutely fabulous episode today with the best-selling author, Laura Jane Williams. We actually recorded this episode at the Hoxton Hotel in London just before the social distancing and lockdown came into effect. Um, It was actually one of my last outings altogether. But nonetheless, the conversation we had with Laura feels so relevant right now that we definitely wanted to get this out on the airwaves. Absolutely. I'm certainly using this time to reflect about the life I want. And re-listening to this episode, I found it so inspiring to remind myself that even in these turbulent times, to commit to the pursuit of joy at work is still going to be one of my values and it's still something I'm going to pursue. So thank you, Laura. Yeah, I mean, we talked about so many of the topics that feel like pillar stones of this podcast, like procrastination, productivity, redefining success, that I really think that this whole episode will bring you much joy that is very needed in these times. On with the show. Tiffany, we're not in our usual surroundings today. No, we've gone on tour. (laughs) Yeah, we've gone out of the office and we are actually recording from the Hoxton in Shoreditch today because we have a very special guest with us. Very, very excited to welcome Laura Jane Williams to the podcast today. Laura, do you want to introduce yourself? Because I think it's always easier when someone speaks for themselves as to what they do and who they are. I came here wanting answers about what I do and who I am. This is not a therapy session. Um, hello, my name is Laura Jane Williams, uh, but I just go by Laura. And I am predominantly an author. I started out doing nonfiction, memoirs, accidentally, and uh, now am inhabiting my true home of fiction writing, um, whilst also... Um, sometimes teaching writing and sometimes doing some journalism and sometimes doing some public speaking you know it's very much portfolio career for me but yes predominantly an author of modern love stories and brilliant modern love stories at that Uh, I read Our Stop over the summer and absolutely loved it thank you Um, so we're going to be talking about lots of things today but I think one thing I really wanted to ask you about is boundaries to start with (laughs) because when I emailed you to invite you on this podcast you wrote back to me to tell me that a well you wanted to be on it hence why you're here now but that you were going to take a step back from email until the end of the week because you were feeling a bit stressed out by it can you tell me a bit about what boundaries mean for you and how also in particular in relation to your inbox and is that something you Mm. do regularly kind of taking a pause on your emails Mm. Did I email you back or did you get an out of office? You emailed me back. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I just... I mean, I think we can 
I think we all know that email culture is out of control. <laughs> and um, I do find that the fewer fewer emails I send, the fewer I get in my inbox. So I'm aware of my own role in email culture being out of control. Um, so me stepping away from my inbox is as much about like not spamming other people as you know being spammed um but yeah I do it's about that you know I love connectivity and I love um being able to talk to people across the globe and to communicate at all times any times but the way even if it's not verbally articulated that we expect people to be at our beck and call and I'm incredibly hard on myself um and push myself to work at incredibly high standards that mean maybe the guilt isn't even coming from the sender, but it is my own hang-ups that mean like, oh God, I've you know I've got to get to inbox zero or that person's been waiting. And I just think having an out of office on or telling people what your boundaries are, just when you state your boundaries, everybody knows what the game is. So I th- and I think that's the fairest thing to do. And if somebody states their boundaries to me and tells me when they're working, when they're not working, and manages my expectations that way, that's freeing for me because I don't have to y- use any sort of emotional labour figuring out. Okay, they've not emailed back. Are they mad? Should I put an, excl- an exclamation mark? Oh, I just know that they're not on email this week. Like, okay, cool. I can put that out of my head. So yeah, it's like a it's a two way street. I don't want to be spamming people. I don't want to be spammed. And everybody's expectations get managed. And I think, like, thumbs up. That works for me. I recently put an out-of-office, sort of a permanent out-of-office on my emails that pretty much say that I only check my email a couple of times a day and that I'm really trying to focus on actually getting work done. I really... It took me probably about six months to actually gear up to putting that on. I was really scared. I think it was... I was worried, what will other people think of this? What if an editor contacts me and sees this? What will mm. they think? Mm. Um, have you? Did you kind of have any sort of reservations before you started actually setting your boundaries? Because that's, that's the thing. I think the hardest part is taking that first step in setting boundaries. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, who the hell am I to have boundaries? Like, when the rest of the world just gets on with it. Here she is, Laura Jane Williams, coming along with her bat, like, get over yourself. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have found that what works for me, because of these imaginary high standards of inbox zero that I hold myself to, that actually when I had a permanent out of office on, it ended up um, becoming like a very neutral thing because... Um, I just knew it was there all the time. Whereas now I do, I've, I've lent into being a project-led person. I've lent into no two weeks look the same. I work, you know, I'm, I'm better when I'm monogamous with my projects um, and they take up a specific amount of time. And so what I have now started to do is when I'm, you know, if I have to get a first draft done or... I'm late for script edits or then I try and communicate why I'm not available on email and that works better for for me. Um, For example, I've got an out of office on this week. I'm feeling very burnt out 
I didn't actually communicate in my out of office that I'm feeling burnt out. I phrased it as annual leave, but I feel like that packs more of a punch and people are more understanding that it's a sometimes thing rather than an always thing for me. But I do have friends who have permanent out of offices on that just say, you know, if you're a potential client, I'll get back to you within 24 hours. If you're a media lead, you know, I'll get back to you within 72 hours and everything else, it might be up to a week. And I just think, well, yeah, that's kind of how it should be. I'm always very careful with an out of office to say when I'll get back to you. So my out of office currently says I'm on annual leave and I look forward to getting back to you from Tuesday. And that is a specific, yeah, that's specific information, I think. Um, It's interesting because you talked about how you sensed that burnout was on its way and now you know is that right? Did you kind of preemptively say this is coming? I now I'm going to put a framework in space into place. Um, can you tell us a bit more about how you learned that or how you got there? So maybe our listeners can do the same for themselves. Yeah, I um, something that I, if anybody listening has heard me speak before, probably they have heard me speak about how in 2016, when my first book came out, becoming a memoir. As it came out, I was diagnosed with, I was diagnosed with low level anxiety and depression, but literally within three or four months, um, modern parlance caught up and people started to talk about millennial burnout. So I'm not saying I like set the trend, but I'm definitely saying I was there, you know, really, I really felt this idea of like millennial burnout so deeply and was so relieved to see the um, discussion around like portfolio careers, working for yourself, um, the pressures that we put on ourselves coming into the job market, you know, in 2008. Um, So that was like my unprepared lowest. The example I always give is walking down the street, knowing it was sunny and, and a voice communicating to myself, me, myself and I talking to each other saying, it is sunny, you cannot feel the sun on your face. Like, that's not normal. So I've never gotten that quote-unquote bad again because I think I'm forever on the lookout, but I've come very, very, very close several times. Um, This time around, I was picking up my phone a lot, checking emails when I'd only just checked emails, holding my phone, checking my emails, thinking I'll just check my emails when the app is already open on my phone. Um, using social media as a distraction, being short with people. Um, I'm a very gifted sleeper, so my sleep is never interrupted. I know for a lot of people that's the like immediate giveaway. Um, but really, for me, I think my burnout manifests itself in procrastination. So there was a specific task I just kept putting off and putting off, like physically couldn't face it and um, I was very proud of myself at this point for I was just texting back and forth with a friend sat on the sofa exhausted absolutely exhausted and I said can I just talk to you about how much I've got going on because I think it's too much and I explained to him you know I'm dealing with this project this project this project whilst also pursuing this in my personal life and this in my personal life and then there's xyz and it took my friend to say 
uh, and he is super laid back. So for Callum to say, um, you know, excuse me, no, that's too much. You can't do that. And from there going, do you know what? I actually have representatives now. I have a literary agent. I have a screenwriting agent. I have editors, people who um, my well-being almost becomes their part of their responsibility and understanding that there is a way to articulate feeling overwhelmed that doesn't mean you're flaky and it doesn't mean you're not worthy of the work coming your way and that my reps have met me in a way that said, yeah, all right, you've got too much going on. Yeah, all right, well, let's look at that. What can we take off your plate? What can we pause for you? Um, but I, I wish... I'm getting better at recognising the signs, but it's still the work of my life to recognise it earlier and earlier and earlier. I think um, you mentioning procrastination as a sign is super interesting because most people assume that procrastination is something that they are doing wrong and a sign that they're lazy or they're not working hard enough. And I have the same thing where actually if I'm procrastinating a lot it's my body actually telling me that it's actually I'm, it's asking me to take a break and I'm, I feel that I'll get drawn to lie on the sofa and binge on friends because my mind is trying to tell me I can't I, I'm at capacity and something I've been reading recently is that procrastination has nothing to do with laziness but it's actually a lot more to do with managing your emotions so we procrastinate because we're getting we're, we're sort of being drawn away from a task. So say, for example, um, I have, you know, a really big project on that I'm equal parts excited and nervous about. And I might procrastinate because something is telling me this is really scary and it's bringing up all of these emotions. So the procrastination is almost kind of like diverting you away and almost trying to protect you. Um, and it's really fascinating because so many people think that procrastination is just a sign that you're not being productive enough or you're not working yeah. hard enough yeah yeah and I've recently I don't quite know how to word this without sounding like the wannabe Gwyneth Paltrow of Derbyshire um but I've recently gotten into trying to listen more to what my body is telling me I'm a clever girl I'm a wordsmith by nature nurture job I define myself by my ability to communicate and use words and so yes that can be very freeing to make myself heard but it also means I can rationalize anything I can reason anything um I can talk myself into believing all kinds of things for me uh about myself and I go to talk therapy once a week I think that's a very healthy thing to do but again it's all words 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 I recently started having acupuncture and it is the most healing insightful like in my first um uh, in my first session and we had this like consultation to begin with and I was talking extent she's like what's your stress level like I'm like I'm not stressed like I work for myself I make my own rules you know I can be here in the middle of the day nobody tells me what to do and on and on and on and then she starts to put these needles in me acupuncture isn't supposed to hurt and the one that can I swear fucking caned I was like oh my god what was that she went that was just your stress point I was like but she went "Mm." 
so I came away from this acupuncture being like well why would my stress point and then you kind of that forced me to reflect oh my god actually running myself at capacity and just because I can often means that I do and so going back the next week and she puts them in my neck and it felt like putting needles in a stone and she was like for somebody who says they're not stressed you are holding an awful lot of tension and just this I send a lot of voice notes to my friend Lucy and we we talk extensive the body doesn't lie the body keeps the score and for a clever girl that can use her words actually sometimes what I need to do is go into my physicality and it took a German woman in a little Derbyshire village sticking needles in me to go oh actually yeah I think and now we talk about angels and now I'm asking my angels to bless me and I've like but for me it all feeds into the to the same thing of looking after myself and understanding myself and yeah my words can get me in they can save me and they can also get me in a lot of trouble sometimes I have to feel the physicality of myself to understand what my limitations are I definitely relate to that. I feel like I can be a bit of a spin doctor of my own life. That's it! The spin doctor of your own life! Um, but, and also I'm someone who, my bod- all my stress goes into my body and it's always the body that reacts first. So I feel fine in my brain, but then other things are happening, which made me think about, Anna, when you talk about uh, procrastination and how there's a school of thought about how there's no such thing as laziness. Often it's simply anxiety, but then... We're, which is what you talked about Anna actually but then we're, we're scared of doing things for whatever reason it might be fear of failure or indeed fear of success which we have talked about in a previous episode but we then beat ourselves up about it and then it just gets into this horrific cycle it's just kind of worse and worse whereas actually as you say we should be exploring why am I procrastinating why does that needle really hurt in my stress area and trying to explore what that's telling you mm, yeah and and yeah I think I'm going to go away and write on a post-it like don't be the spin doctor of your own life for me going to acupuncture and having this space I I go to my acupuncture appointment after I've been to my um talk therapy appointment um and it, it has just been so enlightening in a way that's like it's hard not to beat myself up of like why didn't you realize this sooner why didn't you give yourself the space sooner but I was telling you before we recorded that I was actually unfamiliar with um, your podcast before you invited me to come on. And like I've since binged like nine episodes. You're so clever, so insightful, like you're doing a service. But I don't even know if I would have been receptive to this service that you're providing until this point in my own, I don't know, evolution or development or whatever. I've needed to go on this journey of like, okay you are stressed out you're obviously seeking something you don't know what it is and then it's my acupuncturist it makes me feel so cringe to say it but then she's forced me to explore parts of myself where suddenly conversations that you're having about work and time and balance I'm much more open to them and I just have to like go with the flow and go I think we're in a learning period right now like let's just absorb give yourself permission to be in a learning period and that is a lesson that I come back to again and again and again and again and again well, yeah I suppose the definition of a lesson is if you've learned it you don't need to learn it again I, I, I keep being confronted with this idea of like self-forgiveness self-kindness 
being open to not having all of the answers. It's interesting to hear you say that because as a um, budding wannabe, why well, I'm a writer now, but very, very new to it, I look at your Instagram and I look at your life, especially as someone who it feels like from the outside you've made strategic decisions about what life do you want for example moving out of London um, and obviously you've been published and you've hit your what seems to be the goal of writing fiction and romantic fiction too which as (laughs) I'm such a romantic I just love it Um, but um, yeah so, so to me it seems like you're someone who's thought very carefully about building and creating the life you want would that be fair to say and if so uh, do tell us more about how you got there and how you thought about that I feel like the short answer for that is I have fucked up an extraordinary amount and I feel very Fortunate, I've got an immense amount of gratitude for the space that I have been given and that I've taken to fuck up. So leaving school at 18, not going to university for four years, traveling, getting homesick, coming back, not being sure of this, not being sure of that. Um, I do believe in reincarnation. I do believe that I chose to be born from my parents in this lifetime and that my parents chose to have me as their child in this lifetime, I think we're all learning lessons, that they gave me the space to screw up. I can't imagine what that must be like to give this thing that you have made the space to screw up and see them screw up and know it's more important that they screw up than you save them from it. But I have been gifted that. Can I clarify a question there? Yeah. So do you feel like because you believe in reincarnation, there's multiple almost opportunities at life, therefore you feel a bit more, like you have a bit more time to make mistakes and say someone who's like, this is it? Um, I think that I am supposed to be here in this lifetime as an able-bodied, middle-class, white girl... Um, I think I am here to teach and to show my scars and mistakes so that other people can maybe learn from them. And I think the strength to do that has come from my experiences in past lives. Um, I do think I was a witch. I do think I was either drowned or burned. Um, I think men did not like me in a previous life. And I think there's baggage with that that I am bringing into this life. Um, and it is that baggage that has given me the opportunity, the courage, and it does take courage to stick up a middle finger and say, I can see that everybody else does it that way, but, but I know, bodily, I know that's not right for me. And it's so interesting to me that I've just identified that because I know even at 18, I had a bodily reaction to, hold on a minute, why... Why am I choosing one subject when I'm 18 years old to go and study at university to get in debt for that might ultimately decide the route for the rest of my life? A bodily reaction to say, no, that's not for me. So how interesting that like 15 years later, I'm sat here going, oh, this new lesson I've just learned is about how the body keeps the score. I've always known that, but I need to learn it again and again, like the reminder again and again. So I think screwing up has 
afforded me the opportunity to identify what I don't want to do. And I think, you know, I traveling for four years when I left school and doing some crappy jobs and some interesting jobs and some jobs that would have been great for somebody else, but just weren't great for me. Um, I do not have shame and I refuse to have shame. I will not let you put your shame on me for all of the things that I have walked away from, for all of the things that I have tried. And, like you know, I'm a clever girl. Half the stuff I've tried, yes, I've actually been quite good at, but it wasn't for me. And um, <laughs> I barreled through my 20s. If I had a daughter like me I do not know that I would have the strength of character to weather that kind of parental storm which is why I say my parents must have chose me in a past life you know all right we're finally ready for a fucking tyrant because I barreled from country to country my parents would get a phone call I'm gonna go work in Rome oh I've just met a woman who's invited me to work in Russia for two months. I'm going to move to Bali. Like, I just don't even know how I'm alive sometimes. But that all conspired to mean that by the time a book came out, when I was 30, I knew what I didn't want. And I think that made it so much easier to pursue then okay I want to write I want to share my story I want to make up words I want to learn and I want to report back this episode is sponsored by Dame the brand on a mission to make our periods plastic free I really love Dame. They created the first reusable applicator and the concept is absolutely genius. It's one of those products that I've been wishing existed for years and now is finally in my bathroom. And the other thing I really love about Dame is the little tin that the organic tampons come in. It just looks so chic sitting in my bathroom. It's really exciting to see a product that's making periods beautiful and sustainable, both for women and the planet. And for all our listeners, we've got 30% off an organic tampon subscription. Use the code ITW30 at Dame's website, wearedame.co, and we'll put all that in the show notes. looping back to something you said earlier it's really interesting that you said you only think you're receptive to these sorts of conversations about the role of work and how we work and all these things now considering what you've also said that when you were at school you had such a visceral reaction to going down the traditional path and do you think how how has your how has your courage developed so kind of how how have you been able to stick up the middle finger at what is expected of you because I had it in the back of my mind when I was 18 that surely this doesn't I had this question of this doesn't seem like a great idea to pick one subject (laughs) not to mention that what I had originally picked to go to university was to study theology which it, it was this kind of impulse 
partly driven by probably honestly a reaction that everyone else around me was going off to do these really kind of important sounding degrees mm-hmm. and it, that didn't feel like it was right for me at that time um also that I tried really hard to focus on what of the things I am studying at school what do I enjoy it was my philosophy and new testament class but that in retrospect was not the best thing for me to pick and I actually ended up changing um my degree but anyway what did you change to I changed to English to English literature because once I got to university I feel like I realized well a I wasn't enjoying the course but b that's when it hit me that okay this maybe wasn't the best thing and Mm. that sort of had to start thinking strategically but my 18 year old self didn't was trying to reject that Mm. um and anyway how do you kind of hold on to courage how do you hold on to the voice that's inside you that's telling you maybe this isn't for me how do you listen to that voice how do you give it space it's so interesting to me that that my bodily response is that it is in my body and I am aware because sometimes it is to my detriment that I have got a really low tolerance for my own dissatisfaction and for my own discomfort and that comes from I know what it feels like to operate from a place of joy so anything else just isn't good enough and my body tells me when it's not good enough um And yeah, it's hard. I think I definitely found from the age of like, what, 22, 23, I was blogging twice a week, 800 words, sharing like vignettes and stories about my life. Um, And I think finding a community on Twitter and then later joining Instagram and sharing stories on there and directing traffic for my blog, I was kind of aware from the feedback that I was getting that my stories were landing but that people were also cheering me on so I I've got a very tempestuous relationship with social media in this chapter of my life um but in its more innocent days it very much was a case of like there goes a person sharing their truth and that inspires me to share my own now that truth sharing has been monetized and hashtag spawn and hashtag ad and Hashtag here's an inspirational post about, you know, International Women's Day sponsored by an insurance company. Um, I don't know if I would have that same experience coming to it now. But what was true for me was, yeah, the more I shared, the more I felt championed. And then that gave me the courage to, to be braver and further informed. Okay, what does it feel like when you create something out of joy versus um, something out of obligation or necessity or because you don't want people to forget you? Um, I think really that's what I'm, I'm doing is collecting information of, of what of what joyousness feels like and more of that please more of that more of that more of that I really identify when you say that you have a low um, tolerance for dissatisfaction Mm. because I think that a lot of people have ingrained that mild dissatisfaction with your work is almost normal yeah and I also have a huge amount of joy in my work. I mean, I'm sitting here with you and also Anna, which is so jokes. <laughs> so much fun. Um, so, um, but I think I think everybody could aspire to have that level of joy and enjoyment in mm. their careers, but something goes wrong along the way where we almost feel like we don't deserve it. And I mm. think that 
you t- when we talk about our low tolerances it could be heard as we as us saying we have a weakness but far from it i think actually what we're saying is there is that better world out there and you can get there and once you've kind of had once you sort of touched that or felt that you don't want to go back yeah and also like for the people around me I want you to know that when I say yes what I mean is hell yes like we're very good at policing each other's joy especially aided and abetted by social media who does she think she is she has too much she's too happy she's too joyous as if that then means there's less joy at the buffet table for everybody else and actually I make a deliberate choice to surround myself with people who are also chasing joy um and not that like you can't have a bad day around me but like what what is your value system and for the people that do value being their like happiest most contented Selves, And I don't even mean through work. I've equally got friends and have people in my life who, you know, clock out of work and then real life begins. Like, good for you. Um, but yeah, for me, yeah, very low tolerance for my own dissatisfaction. Do you feel like you're a successful person? It ebbs and flows, and I think the answer to that question informs what my next step is. I think success isn't a flight of stairs. I don't know what success is. If it's not a flight of stairs, what is it? But it's not one foot in front of the other. Every next thing is higher, better than the last thing. It's a big old squiggly line. And so this week, I feel incredibly successful because I recognized things weren't right. I needed to manage my schedule better. I actually reached out to my best friend and then to two other authors that I know who are in similar situations, then to my representatives. I literally have just sat having my breakfast, sending a voice note to a friend going, fucking hell, I'm so proud of myself for this week of just putting the brakes on and looking really long and hard at the direction that I'm going in I think success involves constant course correction and sometimes that means in the same way that I say I do owe so much of my happiness in life to screwing up and I think that has given me a trust in myself that when I start to go down a path it's never too late to come back off that path and like self-correct it's that constant vigilance in 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 a sense which sounds exhausting but somehow still comes back to the body that my body will tell me when something if if I'm slow to get out of bed if I'm really tired and nothing seems to energize me if I'm canceling plan my body tells me when I'm not being successful um I can look you know I can look at my life from a distance and go I set out to write books and be a published author and I have several set on my shelf and I'm commissioned to write several more and people pay attention when I speak and you know I just spent a night in a nice hotel and had a lovely breakfast and you know there are those sorts of markers of success um my friend Dan and I talk about cost and value a lot everything has a value and it's about the price you're willing to to pay for that so I know there are people in my field who are much more successful but they're much more visible and literally can't 
you know walk through Soho on a Friday night without being stopped and recognized and which is lovely but that cost is too high for me so I don't want that and knowing that about myself feels like a success how did you come to being able to figure out what those costs look like for you and kind of arriving at this own definition of success because I think for so many of us we just default to understanding what the traditional markers of success look like and what kind of the very external um, kind of targets or goals we want to hit so in the case of being a writer it would be having x amount of books and getting so many accolades and all of these things but what you're sort of touching on is something that we talk a lot about which is intrinsic motivation and enjoying the process rather than the outcome um but how again it kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier sort of how do you challenge those assumptions and how how do you reflect and figure out what is best for you Mm. I think there's so much fear around being seen to screw up in being seen to be a person that changes their mind in being seen to be anything other than climbing those mythical steps of success that every step must be higher better stronger more lucrative than the one before um I wrote in ice cream for breakfast my second book that I wrote after I got burnout and became a children's nanny I was a children's nanny at the same time I was a columnist in a national magazine like if that doesn't speak to two ends of the like success spectrum you know I had a column in a magazine but at the same time I was nannying somebody else's children because that fed my soul it it's two extremes um but what I wrote about in ice cream for breakfast is um headstands learning to do headstands in yoga and by definition of learning how to balance that way you have to go past the tipping point before you can understand where to pull it back and where your tipping point is and for me again it's surrounding myself um, predominantly with women but some men as well people um, humans surrounding myself with people who understand that the tipping point changes and that there's lessons to be had in going over the tipping point I again coming back to the body my whole body locks up when I am around somebody who shows off for the sake of showing off for status wants something from me um is somehow communicating uh, where they sit in you know the scorecard of of life my whole body locks up the company that brings me most joy and relaxes me are the other people that understand about the tipping point and screwing up and the best way to support a friend isn't to help them course correct so much as it is to say god you screwed up or god that didn't feel good like what have you learned from that okay so how are you going to take that moving forward that like non-judgment I do find that most judgment is less about me and more about the person issuing it anyway but I do think we have a responsibility to each other to to permit learning. Why are we so afraid of not having the answers? My friend Dan says all any sense of control is an illusion. Any sense of control is, a, is an illusion. I've really tried to lean into surrendering this year based on that fact. Like what will be will be. I, I don't know why I think I can control anything because I can't. Um that's actually quite freeing I feel like I've gotten very like mystical today and very but you've just really caught me in this season 
and this chapter of that's what I'm leaning into and I am finding it helpful it sounds woo-woo and silly talking about tipping points and acupuncture and stress points but that's where I'm at right now but not not to us there is no woo-woo in this <laughs> in this room we love it um and I think if you take lessons from wherever you take them in the universal mm. acupuncture and bring them into a life so you have a more joyful life I think that's brilliant that like everything is information nothing is allocated on you know the bad side of the scorecard or the good side of the scorecard there is no scorecard there's just a big sheet of paper where you put all of the information and that informs the next step that you take there's no such thing as good and bad I think I try and remember well there's also um kind of talking about the acupuncture and bringing all of this stuff in and essentially breaking down those barriers between what is considered quote-unquote professional and what is woo-woo um it's such a shame to me that wellness in the workplace has taken such a kind of Mm. commodified and commercialized route because actually there should be no reason why we can't have sessions in offices where we're learning to work with our energy or be more in touch with what our kind of bodies are reacting to um my kind of take on it is that there's this misguided idea that the office, the workplace, however you work, has to be shrouded in this concept of professionalism and what's appropriate for the workplace and that there isn't space and the opportunity to bring all of the other dimensions of your personality, your character, who you are into that. Um, Because for me personally, it took going freelance to really ramp up my kind of personal work journey and all of this, I, I, I was always fascinated by work and education and all these things, but the types of questions I'm asking now, I don't, I don't know if I would have still asked those questions if I was still working in a more yeah. kind of hierarchical structure or a more traditional career path. Um, or I don't know if it's my own season of life that I'm at or whatever, I can't A-B test these things. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> wish I, I wish I could. I wish I could. But yeah, that's kind of, to be honest, I've sort of lost what I was going to read. I don't even know if there was a question there. But Yeah, um, yeah instantly when you talk about well-being in the workplace, what that makes me think of is like my menstrual cycle. My friend Claire Baker um, is a women's coach. She has taught me so much about working um, with my periods, with my cycles, that at certain points in my cycle, I'm going to be more creative than in other parts. And working for myself, yeah. The last day of my cycle and the first day or the first two days of my cycle, permitting myself to go, do you know what? We're in front of the TV today, babe. Like, that's it. Um, because day three, I am superwoman on day three and I will get everything that needs to be done, anything that went neglected the previous two days. But when you are in an office, so what? sorry, I'm bleeding, I'm not doing anything today. It just doesn't fly. Like you say, this veil, this professionalism that we have to uphold I don't do any of that at home and my work is so much the better for it yeah on Monday I had really bad period pain and I was watching friends and (laughs) (laughs) when my housemate came home I said I don't understand how I used to go to the office yeah with this and again I when with everyone sort of increasingly working from home with everything that's happening right now the company shouldn't really be 
they're not paying you for, to be there on form at the same level every single day mm. they're paying you to create or solve problems or you know for what you do for them mm. and so if you have to take a few hours out on a monday or once a month that shouldn't be an issue mm. and i think it just goes to show how rigid the kind of current work structures are and how we're probably missing out on quite a lot of potential and creativity as a result of it mm. It's interesting though, I do think it depends on the industry. I recently, I say recently, almost two years ago now, left London to move to Derbyshire, which is where my family live. And so I'm seeing my parents more on a day in, day out basis, which has been really interesting. My dad has got a manufacturing background and his interpretation of the way I work, the awareness that I have for the things I've internalized from the way that he works. And it was really starting to bother me if I like maybe hadn't hit my word count one day. And my one of my dad's favorite sayings is, well, why put off today what you can put off tomorrow? Like bashing you for procrastinating. And it really got to the point where I was like, do you know what, fuck off. Like, as long as the book gets written, who who cares? But then we were actually down in London, I think after, the day after our stop came out, my parents wanted to, to, we had a big launch at Twitter, a big reader party, and they wanted to come down and be part of it. And it was all very cute. And the next day we were sat at breakfast and the penny dropped as to why my father is the way he is about productivity versus how I am about productivity. He works in manufacturing. So an hour out of the day in manufacturing literally means the parts don't get made. The parts don't get made. You've not met your quota. You are losing money. You have to. So it's go, 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 go. If the guy's off sick, we need another guy in because we need to make all of these parts. That is how factories like his make money versus, well, if I don't hit my 2000 words today, I can write more words tomorrow. Actually, my words tomorrow will be better for having had a break today. And having that realization of, oh, it's not that you're a dickhead and it's not that you're a knob. It's that your industry works in a totally different way to my industry. And actually... I don't know what we really can learn from each other because the rules is the rules. But it was so nice for me to, you know, you are so influenced by your parents and I so look up to my father. So to step away and go, actually, his rules do actually don't apply. So, I, you know, why put off today what you can put off tomorrow? I'll tell you for why, Dad, because this is what I've learned. You know, I'm better for taking a break. And, you know, my editor doesn't care, you know, that it was 2,000 words a day to to get a full-length manuscript she just cares that there's a full-length manuscript so just having that insight into okay I get it and so much of our attitudes for work that come from like the industrial revolution which is a manufacturing based movement um yeah half the stuff that we learn from that it doesn't apply to to the jobs that a lot of us do these days I agree. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much, Laura. I find it so inspiring to be in a room with someone who has achieved so much success in kind of achieving goals terms, but talks so much about their own failures and learnings. And I find that so inspirational because I do feel like 
hearing stories from people such as yourself really helps um well, it certainly helps me and uh, i'm sure our listeners will agree and i'm just gonna to continue to pursue joy in my work so thank mm. you for inspiring me in that way mm. thank you I'm going to listen to my body more, is what my takeaway from hmm. this, this episode. Um, Laura, before we say goodbye, where can people find you on the internet if they want to read more about you, get in touch? Uh, my website is laurajaneauthor.com. You can sign up to a mailing list that I never send out mailers to on there. Um, and Laura Jane Author across social media as well. And if I'm there, I'm there a lot. And if I'm not there, it's for three months at a time those are my boundaries <laughs> uh, we will also put links to pre-order your book in our show notes thank you we know that pre-ordering books is really really important for authors it is much like when we ask our listeners to share and rate our podcast it's basically that equivalent for authors so um, if you'd like to pre-order Laura's book the link will be in the show notes thank you so much for having me thank you This episode was brought to you by Dame, the world's first reusable tampon applicator. For 30% off an organic tampon subscription, use the code ITW30 at Dame's website, wearedame.co.